was the J Cut, and this is the K Cut, a cinema podcast for film aficionados. James here. Uh, I create media type things. I am one half of the Prefer Not to Say podcast, and I produce and release music under the A-list Boutique Paul. And I'm here with my co-hosts. And I'll pass it on to them. I'm Rachel, and I write for Films Fatal. I'm a huge fan of cinema and language. I am Andreas, and I uh, am the creator and what, the main editor of Films Fatal as well. And today is our May edition of the Cinematic Smorgasbord, where basically here's the gist. Each of us co-hosts give each other a film to watch that we've never seen before, and we all have different tastes. I'm pretty art house, international film. Rachel's also international, but also to like the golden age. And James is super into indie lo-fi stuff, so. But I'll, I'll pretty much watch anything. So. Oh yeah, like we'll, we'll all <laughs> watch all it pretty will. much anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're all very willing participants. Anything so. once. Yeah, so and that's that's another thing. Uh, we all have one film each month, kind of like a book club thing where um, none of us have seen it that we get to share it with you. So, which is really really hard to do because we've all seen <laughs> like tons of stuff. Literally thousands combined, so that's pretty tough. So we'll get into that. Our film this month was The Carnival of Souls, but we'll get into that in a bit. We're going to do our individual ones first, so I feel like there's some exciting stuff to discuss. Uh, Let's start with Rachel. What did James give you to watch this month? Well, it was Cannibal the Musical, which for context is an early, early film by Trey Parker and Matt Stone before South Park. So it, it was made in the early 90s and while they were still students. And James, you ruined my vocabulary. I now say spadoinkle all the time. So that's on you. <laughs> that's <laughs> but, amazing. You know, this movie was made on no budget. It creaks everywhere it goes. And yet you can see how much talent is in there. Like, I don't care how cool Stone and Parker think they are. They are giant musical theater nerds. And you can see that in South Park. You can see that in the musical they did later on, The Book of Mormon. But it's already there. It's a fully fleshed tribute to uh, Oklahoma. You can hear the beats. They have an argument about music theory at one point, which is hysterical. Oh, yeah. Wasn't that the point where... uh they were all singing and the harmony didn't meet up and they were arguing over which mode it was supposed to be in. Yes. And they sang about building a snowman before it was cool. Uh, Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's fair. You can't really call it a good movie in terms of production value, but you can see the skill that is coming. And it's very interesting to watch it after seeing some of their later stuff. Like there's one point where he talks in what's basically Cartman's voice. And that freaked me out. I almost jumped out of my chair. The level of talent is already there, and that's what I found most interesting about it. The songs are pretty good. There's some good performances, but overall, I think it's most interesting to look back on in hindsight. And I want to know how the hell they got the actor that they did. I won't spoil who it is. You can't really call it a cameo, but I really need to know. How did you get that actor slash filmmaker to appear in your film, Trey and Matt? I know they're our biggest fans. Well, I actually haven't seen it, so I'm I'm curious because I didn't I didn't realize that they were able to secure somebody that big in such an early production of theirs. So, James, please continue with why you recommended this and and how it went. Well, I recommended it for two reasons. One, it was a musical, and I was like, "Oh, this is Rachel's element," so I'm just gonna just give her this one. Heck yeah! But also, I thought it would be fun because you know you raved about the Book of Mormon, and I was like, you know, what? I'm gonna recommend this because most people, I mean, a lot of people haven't seen it, but. With all the flaws, it's really just technical flaws. Like, this thing is really solid writing-wise. Exactly. Like, there's, it's no accident that they became successful. But yeah, like you said, like, the argument they were having over the mode they were supposed to be singing, I was like, that's a really nuanced mm-hmm. thing. Like, most people aren't going to catch that except for, like, music nerds. But 
yeah, it's just, it really shows that they definitely really knew what they wanted to do. And this was just like the first, you know, it, it's the first taste they gave people. And it was actually bought and released by Troma Entertainment. And there's actually a really funny story I read in the Ford of, I forgot which book it was. It was one that Lloyd Kaufman wrote. One of them was telling the story about when they made the movie and the, they had a meeting with Lloyd Kaufman. And then he pretty much told them, he's like, yeah, we'll pick up the movie, but you're not going to really make any money off of it. And we'll probably make only enough to pay for the <laughs> covers for the VHS tapes. And they were floored. And he was like, well, I mean, you guys want people to see this movie, right? And they thought, because they thought they were like, oh, we're going to make money off of it. And they thought, yeah, we do want people to see it. So it, it, it was kind of like a crash course in how Hollywood is for them at the same time while being their debut. And yeah, it's, you know, seeing that and then seeing what they've done, it's it's just, they were destined for greatness. They're geniuses, you know, the, it's mm-hmm. no accident that they got as far as they've gotten. Yeah, like I, I would, I would call this a good movie, even though it's it's working on so little, and that really is incredible to pull off when you're still a student. Also, to parody Oklahoma in the context of what that story is is just so perfectly. <laughs> like, if you know Oklahoma, you're laughing your butt off. It's like I, I, I know I, I haven't seen it, but it's like I, I knew a little bit. I knew some of the tunes they were doing, and I was just like, mm-hmm. okay, how'd they come up with this? And also, how did they make it work? You know, and, and it has, you know, it, it shows a little bit of the humor that they would continue on with. Yeah. And the thing is, they really know musical theater very deeply. So you can even see that in South Park. There's one episode where they do a Helen Keller musical and they do a straight up parody, not just of Les Mis, but of the very first actor ever to play Jean Valjean in Les Mis. So they really know what they're talking about. And also like their disdain for Barbara Streisand. That could only come from a place where you're like a Liza fan or something, I would exactly. argue. I would love to sit down and have a conversation with those two about Broadway. I know. Well, I've seen everything else that they've done. So I've seen Tin America. I've seen um, Book of Mormon, not in person, sadly, but, um, you know, online with, you know, means. Uh, I've seen every episode of South Park. So this is like the one thing of theirs that I haven't done. So I, I know. Well, what about the orgasmo? Actually, that's that's true. I've not seen that. I've seen Basketball, though, which I know they didn't write or anything. They only star in. So, Basketball is okay. ridiculous. Yeah, that, that but should be a real sport. <laughs> that's a different story. But Orgasmo, I've not actually seen either. Is that actually before or after Cannibal? I don't know. That was after Cannibal. I think that came out around the same year. I think they came out on the same year South Park like debuted on television. Oh, okay. So it was like after like the whole. Um, I think it's called like, the Spirit of Christmas. Like when it went viral. Yeah, and basically when Comedy Central said, "Hey, let's make a show around it." So okay, okay, that makes sense. They seem a lot more prolific when it came to that stuff. But now it's like they spend a lot more time on what they want to do outside of, I guess, you know, South Park, which they commit to on a yearly basis. Exactly. Okay, so I guess I'll have to see Cannibal the Musical. But overall, it's a glowing review from you, Rachel. Yeah, I'd say so. Be prepared for you know. A bit of, of creakiness, but not in terms of what the movie is, just in terms of how it was made. That's fair. I mean, like South Park, early South Park looks exactly. junky, but it's hilarious. It's Problematic, a very similar hilarious. Yeah, so I'm certainly excited for that. In a very different sense, the movie that you gave me, and I don't know how to pronounce this, but I'll say the English name is the, the Cuckoo, but the official name... Kukushka in Russian. Kukushka, there we go. I'm not even going to attempt the director's name. Actually, I will, just for... Alexander Rogoshkin? Yeah, Rogoshkin, that's perfect. Wow, okay, just with some speed. Yeah, so this one's very interesting, this film that you gave me. And I feel like I know the reason why you gave it to me, if I had to guess, is because of 
like the the juggling act of the languages. That was part of it. It was also because I was reasonably sure you hadn't seen it already. I for sure had never even heard of this. So Yeah, and I wanted to show you a Sami film because, you know, we've had long discussions about it. It was what I focused on when I was studying. And, I mean, it's not made by a Sami filmmaker, but it deals a lot with the Sami language. So I, I thought you might be interested. Yeah, like even like the credits, I believe, were, were in that, if I'm not mistaken. But to the listeners who don't know, and I still don't know like the full picture, what exactly is Sami, like the language, like where is it derived from? It's a Finno-Ugric language, so it's related to Finnish, Estonian, and a little more distantly Hungarian. But it's not related to, say, Swedish or Norwegian. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So this film was Finnish, Russian, and Sami, I believe. So Mm -hmm. it was very, um, totally it was interesting because at first it felt very minimalist where there was like very little dialogue because you're seeing like, this is uh, concerning the continuation war. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's like two rival sides or like survivors of, of rival sides who converge into what I can only describe as like a very interesting like love triangle of sorts it's like the first part was devoted to like the survival almost in like a pseudo comedic way but also like a a very serious one as well where like one of the characters was like confined to shackles for a very long time and just nothing would like break them and he just couldn't like just walk around normally yeah once it gets to like the whole it's not really a love triangle but it is like that portion of it it goes from, like, a story of survival into, like, a story of, like, nurturing almost. And that's why I don't want to say that it is, like, a love triangle, because it's more of a symbolic thing. Mm-hmm. Like, what humans do to survive and how they get resurrected back from, like, a place of, like, you know, being hurt or close to death. I know, like, on a literal sense, there was, like, a lot of, like, not comedy, but, like, maybe, like, lighter looks at it, but also serious looks. But I, I feel like I appreciate it the most on, like, a symbolic level. Yeah, that, that's understandable, and it really is a giant allegory. How did you discover this? Because I've never even heard of this. It was when I was studying. I, I was looking up a bunch of films related to Sami people and found this as a sort of side thing. It won a whole bunch of awards in Finland and Russia, and the actress who was the lead is still prominently working to this day. Annie Christina Jusso? Jusso, yep. Oh, Jusso, okay. I had the chance to go to an event where I would have met her once, and I had jet lag and slept through it, so I didn't go. Oh, I regret it. That's too bad. I mean, you never know. That can always happen again. Never know. Yeah. Well, like even like the name itself, uh, apparently it's like a double entendre. So like, I feel like that's like a big thing within the film is the amount of external meanings and not just it being taken seriously on a literal level. So yeah, it, it certainly is well constructed in that way where it's meant to resemble entire nations, ideologies senses of the human experience so yeah i I did find it quite interesting yeah i basically thought that it would be a fun experiment for you in a way and it was i feel like part of the problem with the cinematic smorgasbord thing is that like i've set out to see like hundreds of movies so picking ones for me is very hard but at the same time there's stuff that i've been recommended where i just never got around to it like Mona Lisa or things that i just flat out have never even heard of like this so i mean it's very unique for me especially well i think i'm gonna need another month just to come up with another one for you so yeah unfortunately james is tasked with with something that but (laughs) then i got a feeling it might be easier for james to think of things for me um because i like you're into like the the lo-fi stuff which i haven't explored too too much but um since we we identify a lot on the golden age thing rachel Mm -hmm. and you you more so than me 
There's so um, much overlap. It, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it could be tough, but I'm the wild uh, card. James and I have an easier time with each other because we're very, very opposite in a lot of ways. Yeah, like Hannibal the Musical, I think was a fantastic one, especially because like you know we're trying to think of things that each other would like. So I feel like you were trying to pick out like a like you know like the the art house or like the the international film that that you know and i feel like this also is very much what you're doing with your series like the world of movies where yes. it's a it's a slice of of a nation you know and i feel like it's important yeah exactly and i try to go from angles that we haven't really thought of before so i i know that even though you know a lot of international film you may not know like finnish and russian as well so mm-hmm. Yeah, Russian cinema, I, I know a lot about Finnish, so that, if that helps you with recommendations, I don't know a hell of a lot about Finnish cinema. So All right, I'll remember that. <laughs> that, could, that could help you out. Meanwhile, though, we're going to switch things to German because, uh, James, what did I recommend for you? Yeah, you recommended me uh, Rainer Werner Fassbender's World on a Wire. Ten million hours later, what do you think? This film was absolute perfection. Okay, okay. okay. Uh, well, please tell me more. It checked every box of things that I like. It's 70s. I love the 70s. Also, it's very noir heavy in the framework of the story. It's also a sci-fi story that's based in practical means and not, you know, special effects laden. You know, the cinematography was great. The, the recurring color palette of blue and white, especially in the office spaces, that was really captivating. And the whole sense of you think something's going on and then you start to figure it out and then everybody turns on you. You know, it's just that classic story. It's like, you know, it's almost like this big brother meets who done it. And yeah, I just think just the whole movie had me wondering what's happening next. And the fact that it was split into two parts, I was kind of disappointed because I was like, wait, hold on. I don't want to break from this. I want the whole thing. Cause I criterion split it up into two hour, 45 minute sections. Well, that's how it was released. It was released on TV, yeah. But yeah, it just had everything that I liked. And it was just, you know, I was hooked the minute it started and just I couldn't stop. I mean, I took a break unintentionally, like because it was two parts. I think I took like a nap by accident, but then I woke up and was like, all right, back to the story. Yeah, I don't want to spoil anything for those who haven't seen it. But the break happens at like the most opportune moment because it really is. It's one film, but it's a, it's from two different perspectives. And once one finishes, it's like, okay, hang on a second. What's going to happen now? And what I love the most about this is that Fassbinder has such an aesthetic, raw, uncompromising style that it's so easy to, like, first off, know which films are his. Secondly, just be inspired to make movies or to watch more. Like, just to see more movies like this that are just, like, they, they scratch a particular itch that most filmmakers can't scratch for me. It's like this unhinged, really, really raw type of filmmaking, but aesthetic at the same time. And what's interesting is because this was only shown once on television back in like the early 70s in Germany, this influenced so many people. Like The Matrix is like heavily influenced by this. And it was all by memory. Oh, you can tell Inception is too. Exactly. But it, it was like, all by memory because there was no way to watch it again until somebody found like a a copy of it and they uploaded it online and then finally you know it got preserved and released by criterion la-di-da but for decades it was just a word of mouth thing where it's like i saw this one movie fassbinder did it 
it's like so crazy, crazy sci-fi. But because it was word of mouth, that was the influence that was passed around. It's like the one sci-fi film that doesn't feel like it's attached to anything else. Because like everything else, you could like connect the dots between sci-fi films look-wise, thematically. But this really sits on its own. There's a before it and after it because there's really nothing else like it. Yeah. Prior to it. And then anything else that was similar to this was is kind of taking from it. Yeah, I adore that film. I know you're very familiar with Fassbinder, Rachel. Have you seen this one at all? Or I haven't seen this one in particular, but I've seen other Fassbinder films. So I guess I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah, I'm going to have to check it out. But you know what I mean sure. about like his style? Cool. Yeah, we should do that. Uh, we should make that <laughs> like our thing. But you know what I mean about his style where it's like yes. very like idiosyncratic. Like there's just nobody mm-hmm. else like him. Yeah, he definitely marches to the beat of his own drum. On that note, are you going to check out more of his stuff, do you think, James? Or Yes, I want that box set. Criterion needs to get on that. Because okay. he has he has way too many things, though. The dude did forty over 40 films. Like It was 44 films, 24 plays, and like a couple TV series in 15 years. Yeah, he, he was prolific. Um, it's like he makes Woody Allen seem like he was working slow. But the thing is, like, out of the things that I've seen, and I have yet to see everything of his, out of the things that I've seen, not a single bad note. So, Oh, that's great. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm definitely going to be checking out more of his stuff. because He's this in my just... top ten, maybe even top five. Like, I, I adore him. Would you try Berlin Alexander Platz, which is 15 hours? Oh, yeah, definitely. I'll do that in one day. Okay, <laughs> okay. I don't know if you want to do that. But, uh, After the I mean, last I, month, I James can do anything. Yeah, That's I true. did 12 movies in a weekend. I could probably do it. Also, it's it's rare to find a film that matches the intensity of something like Chinatown. Because oh, it, like, it like had that feel. Yeah, like it, it had that really intense feel w- without all the like problematic stuff that happened in Chinatown. Yeah, the we'll move on in just a second. But like without spoiling the second portion of, of World on the Wire where – it's to me that's like some of like my favorite movie magic and it's not even like realistic effects or anything but just because of how well crafted the story is you'll believe anything i was like on the verge of like falling out of my seat just like out of fear and like nerves like oh my god what is happening and like you you feel like as you said it's like chinatown it's this harrowing story so presently it's my all-time favorite sci-fi but the the ending though that I loved the ending and I was so happy it ended that way. I was like, okay, good. Like, cause, cause once you get to like the ending, it's just like, you think all hope is lost. And then it's like, wait, hold on. And then there's like a, a reveal and I can't spoil it. it it'd be very easy to spoil it. So I'm just going to stop talking, but yeah, every, everybody should watch it. It's interesting that you saw this one first because Fassbinder isn't always in love with the idea of like an optimistic ending in any sort, like bittersweet's usually the highest you'll go, but he's, he's done like morbid endings, um, very grim endings. So that's like world on the wire is a little bit more cheerful. And to be fair, this is also his only sci-fi film. Everything else he's, uh, he's done is like period pieces or, um, straight up dramas, uh, so this is like his only venture to sci-fi. Just just a heads up. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's funny because I usually like the darker endings. But for this one specifically, I was like, OK, the happy note was needed. I think it's just the way they did it. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a very triumphant film. He, he's got some of the best pacing I've ever seen in movie history, like just what he can get and like how, how he gets you to, from point A to point B. So you feel everything that you feel. And just just visually, it's a 
brilliant film. Oh, I I adore it. But now we're going to get into a film that that we've all seen now, mm-hmm. and it's <laughs> it's a it's a cult fa- favorite for sure. This one was wild. Okay, so uh, if you joined us, that means you've seen it too. This is the sole film by Herc Harvey. It is Carnival of Souls. <laughs> no pun intended when I said soul, by the way. That was completely accidental. But it was my turn to pick the communal film this month. And basically, it was one that when I was doing my research for the, my top 100 films of each decade, I just couldn't get to. I just didn't get around to it because of having to prioritize the films that I needed to watch. I'm obsessed with David Lynch. He's in my top five favorite directors ever. And he's obsessed with this movie. It's one of those token criterion films where like house every criterion fan has seen it so it was it was about time so it's only like an hour and and 20 minutes long what did we think it was unique it was very psychodramatic i would call it did any of us have any idea what this was going to be like before we started watching it no i i went in completely blind yeah, it was. I saw the title and I saw the poster, and I was like, "Hmm, this is interesting." And then the first <laughs> scene kicks in, and I'm like, "Hold on, what is going on?" So we start off right away with what uh, it, I guess it's like drag racing or just you know people fooling around in cars, and then bam, uh, right away one of the cars just crashes into into like underneath the bridge, and everyone dies. So that's one hell of a way to start things off. So. This film follows around somebody who survived this accident, who's traumatized, let's say. And outside of that, I mean, how else do you explain the rest? Basically just what the brain can be like when it's traumatized, I guess. How else do you explain this without spoiling? Yeah, I would think that's a very valid read of it. And it's also kind of how memories haunt you. Yeah. And (laughs) it's interesting because... um, yeah, again, this is the soul film by Herc Harvey, but Harvey himself opted to be the the gruesome face that the lead character sees, like these visions of all the time, like this this ghoul that basically follows her around, and only only she can see him. And he doesn't have a name, I don't believe. He just shows up in any capacity. I think he's credited as the man or something. Okay, okay, that's fair. And that's another thing. There were like not even any credits, like not even like any intros. It literally just. Criterion logo because we watched it, you know, through streaming. Bam, cars. They're talking. There's like no easing into this. So this is like a typical shoestring budgeted film from the 60s. But it's just so lovingly made by this guy who just wanted to tell this story. To me, this feels like man of the hands of fate by somebody who has talent. That's what this felt like to me, where it's like you have no budget, but this is how you do it if you know what you're doing. It's one of those films, it's the right place, right time can never happen again because lightning doesn't strike twice in the same spot. Exactly. And he never made a movie again, so that, that proves your point. And the, and the lead actor, she didn't really do that much in film herself. She only had a few movie roles and maybe a few television roles. Do you know why that is? Because no. after, after her agent saw the movie, the agent said, I'm never working with you again. Seriously? Yeah, un- apparently that's, that's what happened, so which is really sad. Yeah, it was like after this movie, what's wrong with this movie? What I found interesting was that I took this as a very feminist film, even if it wasn't intended to be that way, because it's all about how this woman has suffered this trauma, and then everybody around her invalidates her, and nobody seems to really take her seriously, and they're kind of like, oh, just brush it off. And she, it, it reminded me a lot of the yellow wallpaper and books like that, and. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I thought, okay, I'm crazy. This is this is a film from 1962, and there's no way. And then I looked it up, and it's actually been embraced by feminist writers and film critics just for this reason. Also filmmakers as well, like Lucretia Martel, who's done one of my favorite feminist films, The Headless Woman, apparently is a big fan of this movie as well. Yeah, and you can see its influence on so many horror films and, and other films that deal with dramatic genres like that. Um, I think of It Follows especially. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Or like uh, even something closer to its time, like Repulsion by Polanski. So uh, I don't know. I think the way that this thing was shot, even like the the editing, like a lot of it was like low budget, clearly. But I, I personally adore this movie. Like I personally was like blown away just by the like the capability of storytelling with like just zero zero budget there's like barely anyone in this movie there's barely any setting the effects the makeup not all happens no but just enough happens and what's sad is apparently there's without spoiling the ending was meant to go on for longer the, you know the the titular carnival of souls without spoiling too much oh, um, wow. really it was supposed to go on for longer and it was like this extremely um oh what's the word extremely highly developed material. So like, like the souls were meant to like brighten up and like, just like really leap off the screen. But apparently that footage, I don't recall what happened, but that footage was just unusable and had to be, t- it had to be tossed. So that's, oh, that's another thing. So we'll never know what it was meant to actually look like. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a really nice slow burn until you get to that scene. And it's like a flashbang and you're just like, Whoa. Cause it really, <laughs> It's like the defining moment of the film when she actually reaches to that point. And then the ending kind of threw me for a loop because I started to question everything that happened prior. Oh, like the absolute oh, yeah. ending. I know what you the mean. The absolute ending. I was like, hold up. Wait, what? Yeah. And it's not like, uh, I know there are th- stories that, that use something similar where it's like, okay, that's a cop out. I don't feel like that in this case. In this case, it's more of a, an ambiguity. Like, wait, as you said, like, wait. What are we actually looking at? Is this a literal thing or is this moments before X moment happens or is, is it this symbolic? Uh, yeah. Is it symbolic? Is it a limbo? You never get any answers, but not in a bad way. Like I love that about the film. It's like, I'm it's, it's unfortunate that was his only film, but I'm glad it was because I couldn't imagine him, sur- you know, surpassing it with anything else. I'm glad that we all we all like this one. Uh, it is time for us to issue our film for the month of June, which is uh, this is something that none of us have seen, and we would love if you could join us on this on this adventure. So, also please let us know what you think of the Carnival of Souls if you watched it with us, James. It is your turn to select the the film for this month for all of us to watch, and us three haven't seen this, believe it or not, especially because two of us are a very big fan of this person that I know of. Rachel, you might be as well. but uh, Not uh, a big fan, but respect. Let's put it okay, that so like James and I are obsessed. Or we're, yeah. like, we're obsessed. So, James, okay. why did you pick <laughs> this movie? Well, I decided to go with Under the Cherry Moon, which is a film starring Prince, and it was also his directorial debut. Yes. I've always wanted to see this movie, and I haven't, and this was a good opportunity you know what? I'm just going to pick this. I can guarantee no one else has seen it. So I was like, I decided to shoot my shot and everyone hadn't seen it. So I was like, all right, this is what we're going with. Now I say this as somebody who just wore a purple rain shirt yesterday, owns a, 
bunch of his albums. You do too, James. You you received a bunch for your wedding as a wedding present. You received a bunch of his albums. <laughs> yeah, one of my aunts came up for my wedding and she has like this whole collection of Prince records that she just gave me. And yeah, it's awesome. awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and they're like all the gold ones too, like Sign of the Times. and um, I have all the 80s stuff. I have a lot of the... S- single the 12 inch singles i also have a few of the like protege records that aren't even in print anymore like i have jill jones the 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 third eye girl or whatever they're called no that was uh i'm talking about the ones during the 80s third eye girl was like yeah that that was recent no uh no she stopped collecting i think around the 90s because once he started getting more contemporary she just wasn't as good yeah like yeah so yeah and i've got like uh what else did i have i think i have apollonia six also oh wow so yeah, I have a yeah, and then I have a bunch of like you know Prince related. Like oh, I have all the Time albums or the the ones that he did that he made with them. Uh, yeah, I have like so many of them. So I say this as a fan of his, and you are clearly one as well. Under the Cherry Moon has been ripped apart. It won a bunch of Razzies. Uh, to this day, it doesn't have a glowing critical reception. What are we in for here? And uh, like. I, I guess we love Prince. Rachel, what does this mean to you? Because you're not like a super fan like we are. Is this is going to be, be a totally fun? blind experience for me, so I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. Well, it's it's funny because I had a specific reason oriented towards Rachel that I picked this film for. Okay. Because from the clips I've seen and from what I've heard, this is like a t- his interpretation of inspiration from classic Hollywood. Ooh, this oh. could get interesting. Because if, if you if you look at the if you look at the frames, like you can tell the way it's shot. Like it, one, it's black and white. Yes, which I didn't know until today, actually. Yeah, but I, I guess he's like it. It from what I understand, he took inspiration from the classic era when making this. That sounds like it could be really cool. Also, at least it gave us one thing that we could all agree upon: Parade is a damn good soundtrack. So at least there's that. <laughs> that I'm really interested to see if most of any or if any of the songs are actually in it because i can't imagine they are like well under the cherry we'll moon the song i mean i would guess that it would oh be. yeah but like uh kiss i don't know probably no probably not kiss because that that was just a single from what i understand but i, I don't i'm interested to see because like you see how the m- music played out in purple rain because it was like part concert film part like you know the other music kind of was like that was more of a score oriented. So I'm, yeah. I'm kind of curious to see how this album works with this movie, but yeah, it, it's also like he directed it. So I'm kind of curious to see what his choices are. Well, that's the selection for, for June. Please join us with under the cherry moon. We'll actually see if we like it. We might love it. We might detest it. I don't know. It could turn Rachel into a super fan like us. So then we could do a, a special a Prince episode. Thing. Yeah, you never know. Hey, Prince Prince is one of the goats. He's one of the ghosts, one of my top ten favorite musicians ever. But now we're gonna recommend to you, dear listeners, films that we actually have seen. It is our way of saying goodbye. We're gonna give you our weekly recommendations. So Rachel, it's not gonna be Purple Rain, I'm guessing. What are you recommending this week? Nope, I'm going off the wall and I'm going with 20th Century Women. It was by Mike Mills, who also directed Beginners. Beginners told his father's story. And 20th Century Women tells his mother's story. The mother is played by Annette Benning. It's got some incredible actors in it. And it's just this really relaxed movie about growing up in, I think, the 70s in California. 
that's a criminally underrated film and I fully mm-hmm. endorse it. I, I love that. I've only seen it once, but I remember the first time I saw it, it, it lingered with me for months. So I can't recommend that enough. James, what are you going to recommend? Not going to lie. I totally forgot we even do random recommendations. So mine's literally going to be random. I'm going to go with Shoot the Piano Player by uh, Francois Truffaut. Okay, nice. that's unique. Okay, well, why that one? Mainly because it's it's one of those great scenario movies where it's it's like a domino effect where the main character is kind of caught up in a dangerous situation and it's like he doesn't really understand it and it's just like all wild just like wild stuff happens and just the pacing is also kind of like it has that kind of rapid pace and there's also i don't know i think there's also some really interesting choices direction wise in that movie but i think maybe that's just because it's french new wave and they were literally like the blueprint for everything moving forward so they literally tried anything and everything plus you can't go wrong with with Truffaut. he's one of the greats so yeah, that's also a fantastic recommendation. I'm gonna hopefully uh, keep up this this you know prestige with one of my favorite Greek films of all time. It's Dogtooth by Yorgos Lanthimos. It is a metaphorical take on what is going on in Greece right now with the politics in such a unique, bizarre, disturbing way, where uh, these this this married couple basically houses their kids and forbids them from leaving their property. So their views of the world are extremely skewed. Like they don't know what actually happens in the real world. So it's like this very unsettling look at what, you know, the kidnapping of one's own children looks like and the straw that breaks the camel's back. So that's my recommendation. It's dog tooth, but otherwise thank you for joining us for another cinematic smorgasbord. We're about to off air, give each other our own recommendations for next month. Have we got a, a month to, to figure it out? You've got a month to figure out under the cherry moon. That was the K cut. And now this is the L cut. <laughs> <laughs>